energy. So this guy in the fantasy baseball chat is just ripping me. He's calling me names for how I handled my team. Buddy, you had 20 weeks for your own team to play better. Don't be mad at me. The passion. Mac Jones is fighting not just for his Patriots job, but he very well may be fighting for his NFL future. The opinions on all your favorite teams. For the Red Sox, it can't always be about next year. It can't always be about down the road. Where's the team that battles for now? This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy Tuesday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. we got a full show tonight, all 90 minutes. We're up until 7 o'clock. We're going to talk. A lot of Red Sox today, a lot of Patriots, a lot of Celtics, a lot of UVM basketball. We got some breaking news there. This is a guestless Tuesday today. So we actually got a lot of stuff kind of I've been sitting on that I've wanted to talk about that we haven't had time to get to. So today we're going to run through all of it. We're kind of clearing out the Brady Farkas show notebook with some of these big stories. You can get in on the text line 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. I am here. Danny is here. You are now here. Danny? Lego. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swan Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swan Lumber. They are online at sixandstuff.com. New location also open in Rouse's Point. ALCS right now has a 2-0 lead for the Rangers. NLCS has a 1-0 lead for the Phillies. We're going to have that game, too, tonight against the Diamondbacks coming up at uh, 7.30 with the pregame show, 8.07 with the first pitch. So because we've got baseball on the brain, let's start with some Red Sox news. And what I thought would be the case is proving to be the case for the Boston Red Sox. I'm not trying to play I told you so games, and I'm not trying to diminish the Red Sox brand, but simply put, The Red Sox chief baseball ops guy, the Red Sox GM job, it's not as desirable as people want it to be. And I know that's hard to hear, right? Like, And I promise you, it's a general manager job. There's only 30 of them. Somebody will want it. But it's not as desirable as a lot of you want it to be, and it's certainly not as desirable as the Red Sox want it to be or think that it is. The Red Sox are having a really hard time even getting people to interview for this job. Okay, Hyam Bloom got fired in September. The Red Sox don't have a new leader yet, and they're having a hard time even lining up interviews. I mean, yesterday the story came out from Chad Jennings of The Athletic, right? Sam Fold didn't want the job. He's the general manager right now of the Phillies. He's a New England guy. He doesn't want it. The GM of the Dodgers, Brandon Gomes, he doesn't want to interview. Derek Falvey, the guy who's president of baseball ops with the Minnesota Twins, he said no. John Daniels, former general manager of the Texas Rangers, he said no. So, like, a lot of people the Red Sox have reached out to have said no to this. Now, they have done some interviews, right, Eddie Romero on the internal side of things. They've interviewed Derek Falvey, or excuse me, Thad Levine, who's the general manager of the Twins, who's underneath Derek Falvey. They've interviewed, uh, this just came out a little while ago, that they have gotten in uh, Cubs assistant general manager Craig Breslow, who we had on the show last month, and former Pirates GM Neil Huntington. So they've got at least four interviews in the bag right now. Romero, the internal candidate, 
and then those three external candidates. But a lot of people have said no as well. And if you're the Boston Red Sox, that's a problem. If you are the brand that you think you are, if you have the resources that you do, if you have the history that you do, you should be, you should have people beating down the door for your GM job. And instead, you are having to beg people to interview, and you're going to end up with somewhere between your third and tenth choice probably for this job. You're not going to get – the Red Sox are not going to get who they want for this job, and that's disappointing. Any of these people might end up being good, but they're not going to get their original candidate, and that's disappointing. And this is what I told you I thought would happen. The Red Sox job is not as desirable as you think it is or as they think it is. Let me let me lay this out for you here. One, ownership or working for this ownership group is a scary proposition. What What person wants to move their family across the country or, um, you know, leave a job that's comfortable that they've had success in to go work for this front office group, this ownership group, that is so reactionary. None of the last three GMs have made it four full seasons. Is that a job you want to go sign up for? I, I wouldn't want to, right? Like, think about this. I work at WDEV, which is a good station, right? Very good station. If ESPN called me, I should want that job, right? I should want that job. It's likely more money. It's more prestige. It's national. It, it, it is thought to be a better position. But if I find out that all the previous hosts of e, at ESPN Radio have gotten fired in short order, guess what? I'm not interested. And that is a you problem, not a me problem. That doesn't mean that I'm not aspirational. That means you're doing something wrong. And that's what the Red Sox ownership has done to the last three GMs, right? Ben Charrington doesn't make it four seasons, right? Ben Charrington gets told to rebuild the farm system, does it. By the way, Ben Charrington also wins a World Series in 2013, which we largely forget about. So he wins the World Series and builds the farm system, gets canned. Dave Dombrowski comes in gets told, go win the World Series, does, gets canned. And then High and Bloom gets told, shrink payroll, build up the farm system, does, and gets canned. Working for this ownership group right now is a scary proposition, and I understand why guys who are in really good situations don't want to leave them to come into that uncertainty. Brandon Gomes is the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like, hey, you're going to work for one of the great brands in, in the sport. You're going to have nonstop success. The team's been in the playoffs a decade straight and has won a World Series. You have unlimited resources and payroll, just like the Red Sox. You have great weather, and your family's happy in L.A. as it is. Do you want to bring them 3,000 miles across the country to go into this ownership group? I don't. Okay, Derek Falvey works for the Twins. You are now getting passed up. Like, a guy who works for the Twins should be beating down the door to come to work for the Red Sox. And he's not. He says no. Why? No, I already got a good thing here. I don't need that. That's a you problem. Again, look at the people, look at the people who are interviewing right now. Eddie Romero, internal, internal. Thad Levine, who's the number two in Minnesota. Assistant GM Craig Breslow. And a guy out of work right now in Neil Huntington, or a guy out of work as a GM in Neil Huntington, right? So you have guys that are that have been unemployed and guys where it is a clear step up for them into a number one spot that they haven't had. Nobody's moving laterally 
for this Red Sox job. And a lot of people who would still be an improvement for, they're not moving either. And the other thing that is a deterrent that you have to realize is Alex Cora. It's not that Alex Cora is a bad manager or a bad guy. In fact, I think he's a great guy, and I think he's a good manager. But it's very clear. The ownership group has made it very clear how important Alex Cora is to them. So do you want to move your family across the country, go into an unstable ownership group, and then know that when push comes to shove, you're going to lose the battle? I wouldn't want to. This job is not that desirable. And the Red Sox are not going to get the candidate that they want because of those reasons. Alex Cora is supposed to be a positive when you're hiring somebody or supposed to be a positive to candidates. Hey, look, we already got a great manager in place. I think it's a negative because you very clearly would lose that power struggle. I'll never forget what Tyler Milliken of 98.5 The Sports Hub said to us a couple of months ago when we had him on. He said, it's been made very clear. Hyam Bloom worked for the Red Sox. Alex Cora is part of the family. Alex Cora is going to win those battles. So if you have a disagreement, a difference of opinion, a difference in strategy, Cora is the guy they're going to side with. And if your bosses don't have your back, I'm not taking the job. I don't want the job. And also, new guy comes in, he wants to create his own staff. New guy comes into Boston, he's inheriting the entire staff, and it's Alex Cora's staff. It's not a great situation. Not only have you finished last in three of the last four years, you have an unstable ownership group that doesn't know what they want when they want, that reacts to the fan base, that isn't consistent and it's laying out of a plan, and you have a manager that wields as much or more power than you do and certainly has more clout than you do. That is not a winning situation. So I get why the Red Sox are having a hard time. I mean, look, John Daniels said no. Michael Hill, who's the old president of the Marlins baseball ops, he said no. Phillies GM Sam Fold, Brandon Gomes, he said no. And then Mike Hazen, who's the general manager of the Diamondbacks, decided to go and take an extension from them rather than come to Boston, where he previously worked. The Red Sox are reaching out to guys with Red Sox ties, and they're saying no. The Red Sox are reaching out to guys with New England ties, and they're saying no. They are not going to get what they want. And I told you the day that High and Bloom was fired, I'm angry at how ownership has handled this because ownership has made this not a desirable, desirable job. This should be with the Yankees and Dodgers and Cubs, one of the top four jobs in the entire sport. Great fan base. Historic organization, historic ballpark, should be unlimited resources. This should be the the crown jewel of baseball jobs. And guys who work with the Minnesota Twins are saying no to you. And I've heard Colin Cowherd say this for years, and it's true. At some point when you've had multiple failed relationships, it's a you problem, not a them problem. And this is a Red Sox problem. This is a John Henry problem. This is a Sam Kennedy problem. This is a Tom Werner problem. The ownership group has made this job not desirable. 802-585-3026. Glenn in Brookfield says, Neil Huntington is a friend of mine. He did great building up the Pirates. He's from New Hampshire. Hope he gets it. Glenn in Brookfield, if Neil Huntington is really a friend of yours, let's talk and let's get him on the show. Okay? Let's use the connection. 
if Glennon Brookfield is really friends with Neil Huntington, let's let's get him on the show. Danny, do you believe Glennon Brookfield is friends with Neil Huntington? I I guess I believe that. Yeah, I'll take his word for it. Who are you friends with that you can get us on the show? Um, nobody that important. You got to have somebody. Somebody. You Arnie Spanier, have... he's pretty important. That's true. We life. had Arnie. We had Arnie. You know, it's, this is what I tell young people who, when uh, who are talking to me about this business. They're like, Brady, how do I get a guest on? How do I get this guy? I'm like, you always have to realize that your network is much bigger than you think it is. That's one of my first things I always tell people. Your network is much bigger than you think it is. Who do you know that knows somebody? Right? Glennon Brookfield might know Neil Huntington. If that's the case, we're getting him on the show, I think. We knew... We we knew somebody who knew Craig Breslau. That's how we got him on the show, right? You know, Danny, you know me who knows people. That helps. You know Tom Karen who knows people. That helps. You have talked to Buster before who knows people. That helps. There, you got a network. You got to realize it. So that will be your next task is coming up with a guest for us here, like Glenn and Brookfield apparently is. Texter says, if I'm the Red Sox ownership group, I offer – uh, Kim Ng, the job ASAP. She is the now former general manager of the Miami Marlins. We are going to talk about her situation and her candidacy in the 6 o'clock hour as well. That's something Tom Karen mentioned to us a couple of days ago. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. He said he was interested in Kim Ng. She is now available. We will talk about that. And Buster, though, he kind of threw cold water on that for us. He said, I don't know if she would want that job. That's been a common thread. It's been a common thread. It's been a common trend. The people do not want this job right now in Boston, and that is a problem. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. The way the Patriots handled their quarterback situation on Sunday was certainly eye-opening, a little bit confusing. And according to one Boston talking head, it was a sure sign the Patriots are tanking. Do we believe that? That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on this Tuesday, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. No guest today. We'll talk with Tom Karen of Nesson tomorrow. You'll hear a little bit from Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio as well. So we'll do that uh, tomorrow. A couple different interviews on the show. Um all right, I want to get to this thing on the Patriots. We talked a lot yesterday about the Malik Cunningham situation and why the Patriots handled their quarterback situation on Sunday the way that they did. Mike Felger of 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston was on NBC Sports Boston yesterday and said he really thought the Patriots were sending a message on Sunday and how they handled things. The Patriots basically left themselves with no backup for three quarters of this game. Again, for all intents and purposes, no real viable backup in case Mac Jones got hurt in the first three quarters of the game. Which, when I heard that, that felt like, oh, they're tanking. They're, they're tanking. I mean, if, if you're really dead set on winning a ball game, how do you leave yourself one quarterback for the first three quarters? Yeah, I don't think, the pay, I don't think that's a tanking move. I think it's twofold. I think, one, it's desperation, and two, it is Bill Belichick once again trying to outsmart the room. I don't, I don't think the Patriots were tanking. I think Felger's point is that if all you have is Malik Cunningham, a guy who's barely a quarterback, or is, or is half a quarterback, I should say, if all you have is him as your backup, 
you're really not giving yourself the best chance to win. That's what Felger's saying. So he's saying if you're not going to give yourself your best chance to win, then you are tanking. I never saw it that way. I think the page, I think this is just Bill Belichick being classic Bill Belichick, right? Bill Belichick trying to outsmart the room and trying to be the smartest guy in the room. He saw an avenue to get Malik Cunningham on the game day roster. He sees a guy who is a Swiss Army knife type weapon who has the ability to do some unique things. And this is the way that he could kind of sneak him on the roster without having to get rid of somebody else, without having to take somebody else off the roster. I think he's just banking on the fact that Mac Jones won't get hurt and that they'll be able to use Malik Cunningham as a gadget player and they were never going to be forced into putting him or into putting him in as their primary quarterback. I think I think this was a gamble by Bill Belichick, not a tanking thing. I do not think that Bill Belichick is tanking. And I do not think that the Patriots are tanking, right? I, I don't think the Patriots have that in them. I don't think Robert Kraft has that in him. I don't think Bill Belichick has that in him. You you as a fan might sit here and root for them to tank. You might sit for them to trade everybody. You might sit and root for them to lose. Bill Belichick's not wired that way. Robert Kraft, I don't think, is wired that way. They're not going to make decisions that actively help them lose. I think Bill Belichick is making decisions that make him look smart or you know, allow him to sidestep something. And he's just banking on Mac Jones not getting hurt. And, yes, it absolutely could have backfired in his face. But I don't think he was actively tanking. I don't believe he was tanking. Andrew Callahan of the Boston Herald kind of agreed with with uh, uh, with uh, Felger, though. Malik Cunningham was in in the fifth play from scrimmage. Okay, it was his own read. Good idea. Option run. But then he kind of screwed it up, and he couldn't block it. And then you have him in as a receiver. And then his only drop back is a sack. And his last snap is, hey, go stand in the corner and watch Ezekiel Elliott run this for our first touchdowns in Vietnam. Okay? Like, it was all bizarre. And I get that Mac didn't play well and he had a turnover. The sad thing is, it was so much better than the last two games because he only had one. So yeah. the thing is, though, if Mac gets hurt, are you just beholden then to this option run game offense? Are you going triple option? Are you just going to kneel the ball out? Like, this was game day roster mismanagement. Well, this is what I said, Mike. Mismanagement, maybe. Bizarre, maybe. But tanking, no. Right? Tanking, no. And and I refuse to believe that the Patriots would actively tank. Now, I think organizationally, they should be willing to move off some players at this point. Again, I don't consider that tanking. I consider yourself setting up for the future. And I think some people quibble with that. But I think that would be the smart thing to do. Again, I don't want the Patriots players to, to try to lose, and I don't want the organization to start sitting good players just for the sake of sitting them just so they'll lose. But if you want to move off an aging wideout or an aging DB or an aging linebacker or whatever to go acquire a fourth-round pick or a fifth-round pick or a third-round pick, that I just consider to be smart business. That I just consider to be smart business, and that I would do. I don't think it's tanking. 802 585 3026. I'll be interested to see what happens. By, by the way, the trade deadline for the Patriots is going to be fascinating. And it's going to be fascinating in a lot of different ways, Danny, because kind of like we saw with High and Bloom, right? Buster said this to us before. Buster said if High and Bloom was, had a really short leash, why was High and Bloom allowed to lead the trade deadline? Right? And it's a fair question, right? High and Bloom led the trade deadline, did nothing, and then got fired a month and a half later. Not even a month and a half later. And Buster's whole thing was like, if his, if the leash was that tenuous, 
why did you not just fire him and allow somebody else to run the deadline rather than give this guy that you don't trust carte blanche at the deadline? The same thing can be said for Bill Belichick, right? Right. We're all questioning Bill Belichick, the GM. Do you want Bill Belichick, the GM, handling this trade deadline for the Patriots? I don't know. So it is going to be fascinating what they do. Does Robert Kraft go to Bill Belichick and say, Bill, we're handing over the trade deadline to somebody else in the organization. And how's that going to go over? Does Robert Kraft go to Bill and say, okay, Bill, you're going to handle the trade deadline, but then after the season, you know, we're looking at it going, man, you know, Bill only got a draft pick for that guy, or Bill only got a seventh-round pick for that guy, and he could have gotten a fourth. And, man, there's Bill Whiffin again, and why did we entrust that that spot to him? It's going to be a very interesting thing because there's a lot of stuff. at The, the NFL trade de- deadline, Danny, used to be dead, right? It used to be nothing. The NFL trade deadline has now become something. It's actually become fairly big where actually big moves happen and a lot of things happen. So 10 years ago, what Belichick did or didn't do with the trade deadline was insignificant. Now it's a big deal. Are you moving on from an Adrian Phillips or from a Kyle Duggar or from a – uh, you know, from a Kendrick Bourne or from Devontae Parker? And are you getting fourth-round picks, a fifth-round picks? Are you getting players back? What are you doing? If you don't think Bill Belichick has the chops to be the GM, but you let him run this as the GM, are you committing organizational malpractice? I don't know the answer to this. This is a difficult conversation for Robert Kraft to have. This is a difficult thing for Robert Kraft to think about. But the trade deadline is going to be fascinating because there are going to be moves out there for the Patriots to make. They absolutely can move off guys. Again, I'd argue maybe they should move off Kendrick Bourne. Maybe they should move off Devontae Parker. Do you if you're not going to pay Kyle Duggar top of the top safety dollars here in the future, do you want to move off him? Or if you're not going to pay Josh Uche, do you want to move off him? I don't know. I don't consider it tanking. I consider it setting yourself up for the future. The Patriots need talent. They need impact talent. The best way and quickest way and cheapest way to get that is through the draft. If you can go and get draft picks for some of these veterans that are not going to be a part of the next great Patriots team, I would do it. But the guy who's calling the shots, who is that going to be? It's probably likely to be, to be Bill Belichick. Will you regret that, though? 802-585-3026. Texter says Bengals need to trade for Hunter Henry. There's another guy who's who could be on the move, right? I imagine Hunter Henry could get you a third or a fourth round pick, right? I imagine he could get him a third or fourth round pick. He might be your best trade asset. Kyle Duggar, I think, would be pretty good as well. Now, I like Duggar. I'd like to pay him. But, again, I, I haven't called his name very much this year, right? Last year, Kyle Duggar was around the football. Picks, fumbles, big tackles. Danny, we've barely called Kyle Duggar's name all year. I don't know that we've done one Kyle Duggar segment all season. So is that a guy you're going to pay top safety money to? Or do you, are you willing to move him as well? I think he could probably fetch you something good on the market also. Uh, a couple of texters come in. Ralph says, networking is everything. Uh, Ralph wants to come and host the show with me. Uh, he says, I gained so much knowledge from sports radio, and now he wants to give it out. So uh, Ralph once hosted a show with me. Back in the day at a different station, all the hosts except me were on uh, vacation. So we brought in outside just listeners to be our co-hosts, right? We did every single day 
for a week, we brought in all these guys that thought they knew more than us, and Ralph was one of them, so he wants another chance at it. We've never done that at WDEV, and maybe we could do it again, but now we got Danny. Danny, do you think you're at the point where if I was on vacation, you could do the show solo? Uh, no. I'd elect uh, maybe your, your friend Jack there to do the show with me. Jack from NBC5? That's right. What we could do is start you off slow, like right? Like I could take my next vacation come Red Sox season where it's like a 30-minute show before the game. Maybe we easy in that way. 30 minutes of jazz music. <laughs> You're going to get to the point you could do it. People love you. They're calling you Hoops Danny, by the way. Hoops Danny. Uh, I like they that. They are calling you Hoops Danny. I like Mr. Preseason, but if you want to be Hoops Danny. What about when can... re- regular season starts? Then we could transition to Hoops Danny. Okay. For the next eight days, though, I want you to be Mr. Preseason. Mr. Preseason it is. And by the way, we're going to talk Celtics next. Are so you going to get a chance to get in some of your uh, some of your thoughts? Uh, Ross says my dad used to host a charity basketball games in the '90s in Middlebury. Tons of New England retired players would come up to play. That's the extent of my connections that I could get you. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got something. So I, that's good. All connections are good. I can't. I mean, I'm trying to think of like how I've made the connections that I've made. The best thing that I did early in my career was. Uh, I would produce for, for guys in Albany, and they'd have me call people, and I would just write down all those phone numbers, right? Like, that was the easiest, right? So, like, I got numbers of people who I never spoke to, but I have their contact info, and now I've been able to reach out to them. I also met a lot of radio producers from around the country, and we just started swapping numbers, right? Like, they needed New England people for a Super Bowl, so I gave them some people. They had other people. I was like, okay, let's trade. And then I now I just call people up and up. Like, I have a, a – radio contact in seattle and so whenever i you know it's rare that i need someone in seattle or in the northwest but if i do i I reach out to them and say hey do you have this person and oftentimes they do and then i'll give them somebody else and just kind of work that game throughout but everybody has got a network and uh glennon brookfield still tells us that neil huntington the candidate for the red sox general manager job former gm of the pirates now he's been working as an assistant for the guardians uh he says he's friends with him. And he's dropping some names that lead me to believe that he might be. So if uh, if you could do it, Glenn, we'll take Neil Huntington on the show. The return of Hoops Danny after the CBS News update. Why? Celtics have made a very intriguing hire. We'll talk about what it means next. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Texers. Uh, come up with another name. Danny, they also want to call you Hoops Danny. I don't know that I like that. I like Danny Hoops better if we were going with that. We can go either, but. I prefer Mr. By the way, Mr. Preseason back in action tonight. Uh, what do you do in this scenario? You got Knicks Celtics tonight, 730. You won't even be home until after the show until at least 730. So are you watching it right from the first minute or are you okay missing a few minutes? Or are you taping the game already? Oh, it'll be taped so I can miss a few minutes and catch up. No problem there. Celtics and Knicks for the 74th time this preseason. And then, by the way, they're going to do it all for real uh, one week from tomorrow when they open up the season together. This is what I hate. I, I really do hate when teams play the preseason opponents, like, and then play them right away in the season. It's not the NFL because, you know, in the NBA you're playing everybody anyway, so you're going to have some natural crossover. But do the Celtics need to play the Knicks twice in the preseason and then open up with them? I is it the world's biggest deal? No, it's just a stupid annoyance of me. And I understand there's a regional 
thing to it. So you wanted, you don't want to have to travel much, but you could, you're telling me they couldn't play Washington instead of the Knicks here in the preseason. They couldn't play Brooklyn in the preseason instead of the Knicks. They're going to open up with the Knicks on October 25th. I will have seen the Knicks three times in the span of two and a half weeks. And that's more than I ever need to see the Knicks. You'll know their whole roster though. I will know their whole roster. I probably won't care about it though, beyond Bridges and, or, uh, Brunson rather and, uh, and, Randall and Randall. So, um, no Evan Fournier. Come on. Evan Fournier, international legend, Evan Fournier, right? Team France. Cup of coffee with the Celtics. It's a, Evan Fournier got like a max contract from the Celtics. Yeah, that was a strange time, wasn't it? I mean, that was the time I think where everybody was getting max contracts. Like Timothy Mozgov got like 85 million or something. But like, I mean, but Evan Fournier was a guy that I thought, you know, based on what he was being paid, was a guy who was going to help the Celtics win the title. And then by the end, he couldn't even get on the floor. And he can't get on the floor with the Knicks, like he barely plays in New York. And what a, you're right, what a wild time. Celtics made a very interesting hire over the weekend. Uh, they hired Jeff Van Gundy as a senior consultant in their basketball operations group. Remember, Van Gundy is the former head coach of the aforementioned Knicks, right? He took them to the NBA Finals in uh, the 1999 season. Um, he coached for the Houston Rockets as well. Hasn't been a head coach in more than 15 years. He's been working with ESPN for 16 years at the network. He was let go as part of ESPN's cost-saving stuff earlier this year. So Van Gundy's not a broadcaster anymore. He is now back in coaching. And he's he's been around coaching, right? He's done some Team USA stuff. So here he is, a senior consultant in their basketball operations group. Uh, my first reaction to this, Danny, is that I really like this. And I don't, again, I don't want to be naive and I don't want to pretend like I know more than I actually do. I can't tell you all of what Van Gundy's going to do. He's going to spend some time in Boston. He's going to spend some time in Maine with the G League team. He's not going to be on the court that much. It's more of a front office thing. They're going to run some things by him. They just want him to be an extra set of eyes. My first reaction is that I love this. I am for bringing smart people into my organization, and I am for giving Joe Missoula and giving Brad Stevens as much help as possible. As smart as we think they might be or as good as we think they might be, they are very young in their positions. And to have somebody in-house organizationally who you can bounce things off of, who has seen certain scenarios, who now clearly knows the league at a very broad level through 16 years of broadcasting, I I think that's smart. What was the biggest concern last year about the Celtics? Well, it was that they weren't very experienced on their bench, right? They lost Will Hardy as their lead assistant coach last year before the year. He goes to Utah and becomes the head coach. Then you lose Damon Stoudemire in the season, who's your top assistant left, and he becomes the head coach at Georgia Tech, runs his own college program. So there wasn't a lot left there to help Joe Missoula on the bench. Now you've got Sam Cassell on that staff, and that's a good set of eyes who's got a lot of coaching experience, a former NBA point guard, played in Boston, was good for the Celtics or was part of good teams for the Celtics. And you have NBA Jeff Van Gundy. champion. NBA champion, uh, Sam Cassell, that's right. So then now you have Van Gundy who comes in, and yes, he can help Missoula if Missoula needs it, but he's also, now he's seen the whole league, he's 61 years old, and he can help Brad Stevens as well. I think Brad Stevens is doing a good job. I think he's done a good job now over the course of an offseason at reshaping this roster. I think Brad Stevens certainly appears to have the chops for this job, but Jeff Van Gundy is, you know, 
15 years his senior. And he's got 15 years more experience there. So, so I'm all for putting people in that have experience, that have different experiences, that have different viewpoints, and that can help your organization. The Boston Celtics are trying to win an NBA title. And it's that simple, right? And that is the only thing that matters now for the Boston Celtics. The, the pressure is there. The expectation is there. The roster is there. The contract situations are set where you're, you're, you feel pretty good about where this team is at. You've swung for the fences. You've made the big moves. Everything is in place. I want no stone left unturned. And this feels like a no stone left unturned move. You've got the coaching staff now more solidified. You've got the front office more solidified. You've got your roster solidified. You've taken the big swings, and this thing is there for the taking for you. So, Danny, my first reaction is that I like it. Is it a big deal? I don't know that it's major, but it's certainly not no deal, right? Anytime you're bringing in somebody with his level of experience and his level of knowledge, I I think that is something. Is that going to be the thing that wins them the title? No. But if he, over the course of the year, offers one bit of helpful advice to Brad Stevens or Joe Mazzulla, then it's an absolute win for me. Do you see it the same way as me, or am I making too big a deal about this? No, I agree. I I don't think he's going to be doing, like, press conferences or anything, but um, being in an advisory role and not being, like, right behind him on the bench and breathing down Joe Mazzulla's neck or anything like that, uh, it's just good to have an extra set of eyes in there. Somebody who's been watching basketball – the entire time he hasn't been coaching, right? So he's on the broadcast. He knows the modern NBA, um, like you said, with Team USA. Like that, that's a valuable piece to have around the organization. Interesting, you said that. Peter and Williston says the Van Gundy hire to me is crazy because now Missoula has a legit replacement in house. That's weird, and I hope it doesn't escalate to that scenario. See, Danny, that didn't, that that never crossed my mind actually. That never crossed my mind. Is that something that crossed your mind? No, not at all. Okay. okay. Because I, I don't think Brad would do it if it would be that kind of conflict. You've already got that guy in-house, and that guy is Brad Stevens, right? Like, if Brad Stevens... And Brad said he wouldn't step down last year when E-May, the whole E-May thing went down. So, so fair, but, like, Joe Mazzula has to know that if if he was going to be replaced by a coach in the building, there was already a guy there that could have done that. Despite what Brad Stevens says, Brad Stevens could always have been that guy on his own, right? We saw Pat Riley come down from the, the rafters or come down from the bleachers in Miami to do the same thing, right? And that's been, that Pat's was hanging a control over. freak, though. Yes, and that's different than Brad, and you're right about that, and that's a fair point. But I'm just saying, if I'm Missoula, I'm not feeling real threatened by Van Gundy because I've already had this scenario for a year with Brad Stevens and, and had Brad not do this himself, had Brad believe in me. And Jeff Van Gundy, as much as he knows the game, as much as I appreciate his viewpoint, he hasn't coached in 16 years. He hasn't coached in the NBA in 16 years. Yes, he's been around the game. Yes, he's gone for Team USA. Yes, he has a relationship with some of the Celtics players through Team USA. But still, he hasn't coached in the NBA in 16 years, and he hasn't gone through the coaching grind of an NBA season in 16 years. I don't think that would be a logical move anyways. Like, that is not something that worries me at all. And while I think Peter is smart to bring up different ideas and different scenarios, that's never something that crossed my mind. Texter says, you are making too much of this. Uh, it is just an extra set of eyes. Well, that's fine. You know what I was secretly hoping for? What's that? 
TNT to hire him and have a whole Van Gundy broadcast. How about we need to get Stan on the show? You know Stan used to coach at Castleton. Yes, right? that's where yeah. he started. And yes, UVM, and, he was an assistant, right? Yes, and he's in the Hall of Fame. We need to get Stan Van Gundy. We talk about our network. We got Coach Brennan, right? Brennan's our guy. We love Brennan. Brennan loves us. He's got to have SVG's number, right? Oh, he's got to. So we're going to have to get, one, we got to get Brennan on the show again, period. And two, we got to get Van Gundy on the show through this. We got to get a little dirt there. I know people in this state have had Van Gundy on before, uh, Stan Van Gundy on before. I've never had him on. I have never spoken to Stan Van Gundy. So I'm going to do my best to try to make that happen as we get closer to the season. We're only eight days away from the opener right now. But yeah, I like, look, Having an extra set of eyes is good. An extra set of experienced eyes is good. I appreciate having Van Gundy there. And, and Danny, we got the Chris Forsberg sound from NBC Sports Boston. This is basically what he has said as well. Well, didn't we spend all last season saying, oh, man, the brain drain in Boston. They don't have Will Hardy and Damon Stoudemire leaves, and they've got to have help. What I like about it, Mike, is that they have beefed up every level of the organization. I think one thing that they have stressed is that Van Gundy is more front office role in sort of overseeing everything and will have like the ability to 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 really sign off on not really sign off like oversee everything from a high level and just be a fresh set of eyes yes and that's good to me right more front office not breathing down missoula's neck ability to be there to bounce things off of get a help was maybe the development of g league players which whether you value that or not that is an important thing for individual players and it's an important thing for the organization and for the health of the organization, just to have other guys to possibly turn to. So I, I'm, I'm for this. And I like what Forsberg said there too, Danny, about beefing up every aspect of the organization, leaving no stone unturned, right? I do not want the Celtics to look back at this season and say, we could have done something else to win a title. They've upgraded the roster. They've upgraded the coaching staff. Now they've helped in the front office. They are doing everything. Right, They may not win the title based on injuries or some other team getting hot, but they're not going to not win the title because they weren't prepared or they weren't willing to make the moves. And I can appreciate that and have respect for that. Um, I also really liked what I'm hearing. I've also really liked what I've heard so far this preseason out of Celtics players, right? Stuff from Porzingis about how much he's wanted to be in Boston, stuff from Derek White, stuff from Jalen Brown. And I really liked what I heard from Drew Holiday yesterday, Danny, about the competitiveness of this team. I mean, it's been fun. Uh, we are pretty guard heavy. Uh, a lot of defensive guys, a lot of offensive guys, but uh, you see the top dogs going at it. You see Jalen and JT going at it, and then you might see Peyton and JB going at it. Uh, you see D. White and me going at it. So it's... Um, Obviously, an environment for winning. Um, it's an environment for for to have a competitive nature and and again to get upset and and make your teammates better. You know, I tend to be a guy. One of my resolutions in this business is I tend to be a guy who gets overly excited by sound bites. Right? Like you can feed me lines, and I I I I eat that up. Right? Like I eat up the press conference speak. That's why I tend to love every head coaching press conference when a guy gets hired. I've always been that way, right? You throw me the right buzzwords, and I get excited. I'm trying to not do that anymore. I'm trying to be, as I've said, I'm trying to be more show-me, don't-tell-me guy. In the past, I've been tell-me guy, and I haven't cared as much about the show-me until it's too late. I'm trying to be more show-than-tell. That said, what Drew Holiday's selling there, I'm buying. I love the idea of how competitive this team is. And 
well, Brady, they're pro athletes. Of course they're competitive. Not necessarily. Okay. Not every pro athlete loves their sport. Not every pro athlete loves to grind. Just like not every employee in your business loves what they do. They may be good at it. It may pay them well. It may come with nice perks, but they don't all love it. Right? And they, some of them do just punch in and punch out. That happens in your business. I'm sure it happens in mine. But. Yoke is just like basketball. Is that what he, well, he did say that? Not exactly, but you know, he wanted more of his summer off. <laughs> Winning the NBA championship was, uh, you know, not good for him, apparently. He said he was tired and wanted to go to sleep or something like that. Uh, that was the other thing he said after the, the, uh, Nuggets won the title last year. But, you know, I just, I love this idea that I think this Celtics team truly feels locked in early. And I think a lot of teams feel excited in preseason, right? It's always a fresh start, a first day of school type feeling. This Celtics team feels truly locked in, and they truly feel like they are on a mission. Again, they're saying the right thing. Now you have to go out and prove it. But this team has me believing that they do have, as we all like to say now, that dog in them, right? Like Jalen Brown seems to have that dog in him. We've seen that. Drew Holiday, I've seen it from afar. I believe he's going to bring the Marcus Smart level competitiveness to this roster. Derek White is a guy who's very quietly one of the better players in the NBA. Now, he was left off the NBA's top 100 list, but he's not that far outside the top 100. Peyton Pritchard, we've seen play well in the three preseason games. We've heard a lot about his development. It just feels like the top six, top seven on this team are so focused. They know what's in front of them. They know the opportunity that they have. Will there be bumps and bruises at the very beginning? Yeah, maybe. But they do feel like a team, Danny, that can be a special regular season team. And I hope it leads to special postseason success. Does that mean they're going to go 70 and 12? I don't know. Does it mean they're going to go 60 and 22? I don't know. But they feel locked in. They feel connected. They feel like they've bought into each other. They feel like they believe in each other. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, this feels like a 60-win team. Like, if everybody's healthy and everybody plays their role, you know, that this team should win 60 games. Do you care about them getting the number one seed in the playoffs like I do? I do, but I'm not going to, like, if Porzingis misses 25, 30 games and it's towards the end of the season and you're the two seed and you can't get that number one seed because there's only a couple games left, it's not a big deal. But, yeah, they should be right right around there. I'd like them to get the number one seed just because I believe I believe in home court. And I know the Celtics have struggled at home, so I don't want to be, you know, ironic with that. The Celtics have struggled at home in the last couple of playoffs, and they've dropped games they shouldn't have dropped at home. They've dropped game ones. They've dropped game fours, whatever, fives or whatever. But I don't want to play Giannis and Lillard on the road in a game seven in Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'd rather have them trending in the right direction at the end of the season. That's fair. You always want to be playing your best basketball going into the into the postseason. But if you get the number one seed, then I think I've been playing good basketball throughout for the most part. So I, I want to see the Celtics. Right, unless you're resting guys the last ten games because you have it wrapped up. But I don't think the Bucks will allow that. I don't think the Bucks will allow that. I still worry about Philadelphia. Maybe not for a number one seed, but I still worry about Philadelphia being a good team. I understand about Harden. Um, you know, I understand Harden's going to do his thing, and I don't know how that's going to resolve itself. And if he's gone, it's, they're not going to be as good or as scary. But Embiid, you know, I, I just I like the Sixers in the regular season, and I think they could present you some problems. So uh, I would like to see the Celtics get that.
number one seed. It is the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, Celtics and Knicks tonight. Texas, uh, let's talk about the Yankees. Uh, the answer to that is no. Let's move on. We're about to. It says, pro basketball is so boring, let's talk football or baseball. We're going to talk baseball soon. We're going to talk football soon. But I also want to give you a local breaking news story here involving UVM men's basketball. It's not good news. Uh, Nick Fiorillo, the UVM men's basketball player, the big man, kind of a a big man hybrid, he is out indefinitely right now. We just got word that Fiorillo suffered a leg injury. Um, he is out indefinitely. We don't know what the injury is. We don't know what the projected length of time is, but he is going to be out indefinitely. And I think this is just me speculating, right? They're very, very quiet when it comes to injuries at UVM. My guess is that he plays this season. How many games, how much, how impactful, that I have no idea. But when Catherine Gilwee got injured for the UVM women, it said specifically, she is out for the year, right? We got the message right away, she's injured, she is out for the season. We learned that right away. With this, it says out indefinitely. Leads me to believe he's going to be out for a while, but not necessarily the entire year. Again, could be wrong. It could mean that they intend to bring him back. We don't know what's going to happen. But I do think there's a good chance we'll see Nick Fiorillo at some point this year. He had the injury last year. It was a knee injury. I believe it was a meniscus or an MCL. I don't want to play doctor and not remember correctly, but he missed a bunch of the year last year. He only played in 14 games last season. He started eight of them. So, number one, I feel bad for Nick Fiorillo, right? Before we talk about the impact on the team or anything, I feel bad for Nick Fiorillo. I feel bad for any player who plays sports who gets hurt, especially in a guy's senior year. Nick Fiorillo is a grad student right now, and this is, you know, this is his last year, or at least I believe it'll be his last year. He's only played three years. He might have five years of eligibility. Don't know if he would use it, but this could be his last year, and I feel bad if he's going to miss two games, five games, ten games, 15 games of the entire season. So I feel bad for Nick first and foremost. Second off, I do think this is a loss for the team. We have focused a lot, I think correctly, on guys like Deloney, who have been here and have done it, and on guys like Veretto, who stepped up big in the championship game last year, and on exciting new players, and on, you know, red shirts and transfers. And I have not talked a lot about Nick Fiorillo either this offseason. But Nick Fiorillo is six foot eight, two hundred and twenty five pounds. Nick Fiorillo offers something to this team. He's kind of a stretch player. He's not really a true internal post player. But when you talk about guarding bigger players when they play Virginia Tech or you or Toledo, when you talk about guarding bigger players, maybe the NCAA tournament, having a guy who is six foot eight and capable is a very good thing. And if Nick Fiorillo is not there for any or all of these matchups, the team loses something defensively and rebounding. Nick Fiorillo also is a guy who has the ability to shoot the ball from distance. Now, he struggled last season, especially when he came back from injury. He only shot 16% from three last season, most of that at the end of the year. So, again, I recognize that. But as John Becker told us last week, this team wants to play up-tempo. This team's probably going to be more offensively minded than his teams in the past. is a guy who I think could excel in that kind of system. And now he's not going to be there. And now you're going to need some contributions from at least, you know, look, you're going to need contributions from guys 
that maybe you weren't expecting, right? This is a smaller UVM team. Now without Nick Fiorillo, what are you getting from some of your young guys? Okay, I look at this. Iofalier, six foot eight. He's going to play. He's certainly a guy who could take care of some things down low. I trust him. Jackson Skipper is six foot seven, but he's thin. He's tall, but he's thin. He's more of a guard type. Then you look, okay, um, Michael Mora. He's six foot eight or six foot six first year. Don't know how much he's going to play, if at all. TJ Long, six four, guard. Seth Joba, freshman out of Buffalo. He's six foot nine. We saw last year freshman big man struggle, right? Perry Smith struggled and ended up transferring. I don't know what to expect from I don't know what to expect from Seth Joba. So I I don't know. I don't know. But without a six foot eight Nick Fiorillo, you're gonna need more from Matt Veretto, who's also more of a combo player, and you're gonna need more from Aliri Iofalia, and then you're gonna need one of the unknowns probably to step up. And that is that's a situation that's tough. And we saw last year where they didn't have Fiorillo that it was ugly at times, right? He got hurt around Thanksgiving, and then they, you know, they struggled at times. And that, especially, you know, in the totality of the non-conference. So, uh, disappointing news for him. Disappointing news for the team. I hope that I am reading the room right. That there's a difference between the way the releases were written. Catherine Gilwe had said clearly out for the year. This says out indefinitely. I hope that means can come back sooner rather than later, but. We don't know. Media day is actually tomorrow uh, for the UVM men's basketball team. It's it's done virtually, so maybe we can get more. Danny, you know what frustrates me about this, by the way? What is it? So the conference, this is a conference decision. This is not a UVM decision. The conference hosts media day, right? And they host them on Zoom. Again, it's done virtually, and that's fine. I like that. That's That's convenient. But they host them in 15-minute blocks. So every team gets 15 minutes. And so, like, tomorrow, John Becker and Aaron Deloney will be there representing UVM. And I got the schedule today. They're going to be talking from 1230 to 1245, right as I am doing the midday news and right as you are producing the midday news. So neither one of us will be able to attend and ask questions that we want to ask at UVM Basketball Media Day. We're going to get the recording. We're going to get it sent to us. But I have no idea what other people are going to ask. And, you know, I'm going to have to send Jack Mayne a message, I think, and say, Jack, ask these five questions for us. Because there's things that I want answered. And grab but, all the audio for us. Well, no, they're going to send – the conference is going to send it to us. I'm trying to put Jack to work. Well, it's done virtually, Danny. It's okay, done, okay. It's done virtually on Zoom. So the conference is going to record it and is going to send it out. So we're going to have audio from the press conference Tomorrow, and I'm excited to have that and play it and talk about it, etc. But we're not going to get a chance to ask the questions that we want because neither one of us can attend it because we're going to be on the air doing the midday news. So we're going to have to ask Jack to uh, to to be our uh, our mole there and ask the questions that we want answered. One of which: How does the team move forward without Fiorillo, and who fills in for him? Uh, Texter says Fiorillo missed three months after knee injury last season. What a bummer for him. That's so unfair. True. Um, and remember, Fiorillo is, uh, remember he's the one, Danny, oh, you weren't working. Did you catch this story last year with me and Fiorillo? Uh, I remember something, but you're going to have to refresh me there. Something about his father, right? So his father likes me, but I was afraid his father was not going to like me. <laughs> because what happened was, and, and look, in this Called business, him out. I, you know. End of? I, maybe. So, 
Fiorillo got hurt, and I like Fiorillo. Part of the reason I like Fiorillo, honestly, is because Fiorillo plays like I do, right, and plays like I did. And, you know, obviously he's much better than me given where he's at and given where I was at. That's fine. But, like, tall and thin and likes to shoot the three. And it might not seem like we're a generation apart, but basketball-wise we're a generation apart. When I was growing up, if you were tall, you were told, don't dribble, don't shoot from outside, just rebound and play down low. And I was never that kind of player, right? I was too thin. I wasn't very strong. I couldn't jump very high. I was not really meant for the post. So I wanted to play down low, or I wanted to play outside. I wanted to play a stretch position before the stretch four was even a thing, right? Like Dirk was doing it in the NBA, but there wasn't a lot of people playing like that. So I was never really able to play the way I wanted. So when I see guys that are able to play the way that I wish I could, I have a little bit of jealousy in that, and I'm also happy to see that the game and coaching has evolved enough to let guys just do what they do best. So I enjoy watching Nick Fiorillo play, and I enjoy seeing Fiorillo play the way he likes to play because it's the way that I want to play. When he got hurt last year, I thought it was a loss for the team, and I, I believe that. But then when he came back, I I said that I wouldn't play him very much. And I said I wouldn't play him very much because he had been injured. He had missed three months, and the team was trying to win an America East Conference title, and they couldn't really afford to let a guy kind of reacclimate back into the lineup who hadn't played. Likely they had to go with the guys who were the best right then and couldn't really afford to be given time to a guy who hadn't played very much. Well, his father approached me at a game last year, and I can't remember if it was a final regular season game or if it was the first game of the playoffs, but Fiorillo's father came up to me and he said, hey, are you Brady? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm, I forget his first name, apologize. He said, I'm Mr. Fiorillo. He goes, I heard your comments. And I thought, like, at first, I'm like, this is, this is a big dude, right? Like, strong guy. And I'm like, you heard my comments. And I'm like, is this going to be a good or a bad follow-up here? And he goes, I got to tell you, I think you're great at what you do. And we ended up now becoming friendly with each other to where we'll talk whenever I see him at Patrick Gym. But it was a, it was a, I you know, a joke about it being a funny, intimidating moment because I didn't, like, you never know, like, when you say something, you put something out there, how people are going to respond to it. Then I found out, like, I had put a tweet, I had put a tweet out that said something like, Happy Fiorillo's back, not going to make a big difference, he hasn't played in three months. I found out that he put that quote or that tweet, a screenshot of it, as the background of his phone, and I was the motivation for him to get healthy and to come back in the NCAA tournament or come back in the America East tournament and come back at the end of the regular season to make a difference down the stretch because I had given him his own personal bulletin board material. And, you know, in one way I'm I'm honored at that, and on the other way I'm, I'm sorry about that because I'm not trying to, you know, make college kids feel bad or make college kids feel like they can't do something. I'm just trying to do my job as I see it. Sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. But, um, you know, he, he said that I had helped motivate him. And we ended up talking after the America East title game, and he thanked me for saying what I said because it really motivated him. And as I recall, he ended up playing pretty well in down the stretch. Now, did he score a bunch? In the America East tournament, no, but I'm going to pull up the numbers here if I can find the game log from last year. I don't know if I'll be able to at this point, but, um, you know, he ended up making a difference defensively and rebounding for sure in the uh, 
in the conference tournament. So there's my there's my Fiorillo family story. I'm certainly rooting for him to be healthy. I like him. I like the way he plays. And, hey, 6'8 is a body type that this team doesn't have a lot of, especially with experience. So UVM hasn't had a true big man since Ryan Davis left, right? They they didn't have one all of last year. Fiorillo, again, is a stretch guy. Wasn't He's even bigger now than he was last year. So he's able to do, I think, more down low this year when he's healthy. Perry Smith Jr. last year wasn't that guy. Um, it just never really materialized for him. See what happens this year. But Fiorillo not being there is a big deal. It's a pretty Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Red Sox are having a hard time finding a new GM. Is there one perfect candidate out there? We'll talk about her next on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Before I get to the Red Sox and the general manager situation, Danny, have you been keeping up on your Seinfeld watching? Where are you at right now? Uh, only one more episode since we last spoke. What are you doing? You've had like a week and you've only watched one episode? What more? It was a busy sports season. Couple days. What was it? The playoff game ended pretty late. Um, there was no Celtics games in that stretch, but I don't know. I just didn't watch too many. So you've watched the Bubble Boy. That's right. What, what a strange episode. Very strange, right? I expected a boy and it's just this, this guy screaming in a bubble and you can't even see him. You can't see him. Donald was his name. He lives in the bubble because he's got the health condition. Yeah. So, the undisclosed whatever, right? Yes. The card says moops. It's moors, you idiot. It's moors. I'm sorry. The card says moops. There you go. All very strange. I laughed, but, yeah, strange. So it was not your favorite episode, you're saying? I guess not. Let me look up and see what episode you have coming next because I, uh, you know, I enjoy when you, uh, you know, I enjoy knowing exactly what's coming on. So uh, after the bubble boy is the Cheever letters, which... Okay, I mean, I have thoughts on that one, but uh, I will not. No spoilers. I see, I don't want to, I won't spoil it. I don't want to tell you, oh, it's good or it's bad, because I don't want to have you going in with a predisposed notion to be excited and it lets you down or to be not excited and you end up thinking it's good. So I'll just tell you that uh, season four, as I've said, is the start of when they start to get really good. Seasons four through seven are absolutely phenomenal. I think there's so many classic episodes in there. You're coming up on season four, episode eight. Get watching, although not tonight because you got Celtics. So that's right. Are, are you going to be watching preseason at Celtics over playoff baseball again tonight? I will switch back and forth. YouTube TV has that convenient little, you know, dual it screen thing. It also has the multi-view thing. That's now. exactly what I'm doing. So you can watch two on one channel if you want. Yep. I just so, don't like the smaller screen, but I don't like the smaller screen either. You could just. Do you have the ability to put two TVs up next to each other in your house? Yeah, I could just log in on the phone or something. That's also another small screen, but whatever. Yeah, well, we'll make it work. Put two TVs next to each other. Yeah, I mean, I have to. I don't want to move a TV tonight. Okay, it's not worth. It's not worth moving it's not, TVs it's for not. you. Come on. All right, let's talk about the Red Sox. Um, Kim Ng is a name that you should be very, very aware of. Kim Ng was. She made baseball history a couple of years ago. She was the first woman to be a general manager of any of the four pro major sports, right? Football, baseball, basketball, hockey. She was the first woman to serve as a general manager in any of those sports. She ran the Miami Marlins. Um, so she made history. She led the Marlins to the playoffs in the COVID 2020 year, right? The 60 game season and led the Marlins to the playoffs this year where they won 84 games. She has stepped down as general manager of the Marlins, 
right? She had a, there was a mutual contract option. The Marlins exercised that they wanted her back. She declined it. So she's now a free agent. And the reason being was philosophical differences. Basically the Marlins wanted to hire somebody above her despite how well she had been doing and how good the team had gotten and how excited the team was, they wanted to hire somebody over her. And I think that is much more about the Marlins' incompetence, which historically is well-known, than it is anything about Kim Ng. As a result, Kim Ng is now a free agent. The Boston Red Sox absolutely need to call her. I think that goes without saying. They'd be doing organizational malpractice if they did not call her. I can't tell you every little detail of the last few years about the Miami Marlins. What I can tell you is she got them to the playoffs in two of the last four years, right? The Miami Marlins went to the playoffs in two of the last four years. That's, that is a good step for the Marlins. She was willing to make some big moves, some bold moves, moves the Red Sox and High and Bloom were not willing to make. And she did it with, with a cash strap payroll, right? She traded Pablo Lopez, a good starting pitcher for Luis Arise and a one for one straight up deal and Arise won a batting title. In Miami, she went after it at the trade deadline, acquiring Josh Bell, acquiring Jake Berger, acquiring David Robertson to help the Marlins get to the playoffs. So she clearly has an idea of what good baseball players look like. She still clearly has an idea of what a clubhouse needs around the trade deadline and clearly isn't afraid to pull the trigger. All things in which High and Bloom reportedly struggled with, at least while he was with the Red Sox. So you have to make this phone call. I do not know if she will want the job. I do not know if the things we spoke about earlier in the show will scare her off. They very well could. But it is a phone call you have to make. Now, for what it's worth, Tom Karen of Nesson was with us last week, and he said he wanted Kim Ng before any of this happened. Like, he wanted Kim Ng to be the general manager of the Red Sox, thought maybe that she would be a good fit in Boston. I think she probably would be. But, again, there are questions to be had. One, if she had philosophical differences in Miami about kind of being in conflict with somebody in the front office, does she want to navigate the Alex Cora relationship? She would be above Alex Cora, but Alex Cora clearly has the power. So does she want to – she's leaving a situation where they try to give power to somebody else. Does she want to come into a situation where Alex Cora also has maybe as much or more power than she does? I don't know. It's a fair question. It's also a fair question about does she want to step into a much bigger market? Not everybody wants that kind of spotlight. And I'm not saying anything bad or disparaging about her. Not everybody wants that. Some people are happy to be a big fish in a little pond. And not everybody wants to be swimming in the big pond. Right? Just getting to the playoffs and getting a wild card and winning 84 games with the Miami Marlins is a reason to celebrate. Getting to the wild card series and winning 84 games with the Boston Red Sox is a borderline fireable offense. So does she want to do that? I also don't know if she wants to get right back into it. She's 54 years old. She's certainly not old. She's certainly not old for this position. But does she want to take a year off? Or does she think I got to strike while the iron's hot? If I take a year off, I'll never get back in. I don't know the answer to that. Those are questions she has to answer. But it's a phone call the Red Sox have to make. And John Tomasi of NBC Sports Boston loves the idea also. I think there's a lot to like. You look at the Marlins, a 67-win team a couple of years ago in the playoffs this year, and you can point to moves that she made, aggressive moves, trading for Luisa Rise 
uh, you know, batting champ in the NL. Trades away a really good pitcher, Pablo Lopez, who got extended by the Twins. No regrets there. Her trade deadline, we talked about Heimblum doing nothing. She went out and got Jake Berger, who was one of the most impactful players traded at that deadline. Josh Bell, David Robertson. So she put the Marlins in a position to go get that wild card, and they did it. Yeah, they did it. Yes, they got swept. But, again, just getting there is an accomplishment for the Marlins. We will see what happens. But it's a phone call you have to make. We'll have TC on the show coming up uh, coming up tomorrow, 545. We'll also hear from Freddie, I think, tomorrow as well. We're going to have Buster this week. So there's going to be a lot to get to baseball-wise here over the course of the next couple of days. The Red Sox job to me is not that desirable. Here's a key difference, though, Danny, about the Kim Ng situation. Kim Ng doesn't have a job right now. Right? She is unemployed as of today. So the other people that haven't wanted the Red Sox job, they have all decided their current gigs are better than the Red Sox. Kim Ng doesn't have a current gig. So if she seeks employment in 2024, the Red Sox very well might be the best thing that's out there. Not every, you know, again, John Daniels not wanting to leave his job with the Rays can understand that. He thinks it's a better situation. Um, Derek Falvey not wanting to leave his job with the Twins thinks that's a better situation. Kim Ng is unemployed. She is not in a better situation. I would imagine you don't step aside from one of these jobs unless you have a pretty good idea of what you want to do. I don't think people that are this smart in these power positions step aside to go into the unknown. Does that mean that Kim Ng has something up her sleeves with the Red Sox or somewhere else? That I don't know, but I'd have to imagine that she's got something she feels confident in or good about. Again, does she want to be in the bigger market? I don't know. The Red Sox job, though, I get the trepidation in it if she's got it. Shaky ownership with a his- with a history of firing people. Alex Cora has the power. And it's a team that, by the way, by the, has finished last in three of the last four years and plays in the best division in baseball, at least when it comes to the regular season. The Orioles are going nowhere. Tampa's going nowhere. And I don't know what's going to happen with Toronto, but at the very least, they're going to continue to be a problem. And I don't know what the Yankees are going to do. The Yankees are certainly deficient right now, but they're the Yankees. So they can go out and they could sign Shohei Otani and the whole thing changes. They could go out and make a couple of big trades and the whole thing changes. Does she want to go into that bloodbath? She's just been in a bloodbath in the National League East where you have the Braves and Phillies and what are supposed to be a really good Mets team. Does she want to do that? And ask TC more of his thoughts on this tomorrow. What is the Brady Farkas Show? On WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. One member of the Patriots spoke yesterday about what it's like to be in this situation the Patriots are in. One in five with the walls closing in around you. Really enlightening answer. I'll play it for you next on DEV. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. A couple of minutes left. We'll have some jazz music from 710 till 730, and then we'll have game three of the series between the Phillies and, or game two of the series, rather, between the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. Phillies have a one nothing series lead in that one. That is the National League Championship Series. Uh, interesting comments from Matthew Slater yesterday. He was on WEEI, and Danny, he was asked about what it's like to, to lead or be a team leader during these times of struggle. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, very challenging to lead in times like this. Anyone can uh, can lead when things are going well. 
everything's falling into place. Almost anyone can lead with uh, some sort of success, but when you're doing it uh, in, in circumstances like this, it's challenging, and I think it really tests your character. Uh, it really tests uh, who you are as a man and your consistency. He also said he thinks it's a great opportunity for himself to lead a team in these situations. You know what? I believe him. It's a thoughtful answer. That's why Matthew Slater is one of the best, right? That's why he is one of our favorite Patriots. That's why he's everybody's one of everybody's favorite Patriots. He's a nice guy. He's a likable guy. He's a, a affable guy. He responds to the media well, and he gives you a thoughtful answer. And I believe what Matthew Slater says. I truly think he believes that I think he's going to make the best out of every situation possible. And even though this team is one in five, I think this is something that's going to set up Matthew Slater well for his future life. He's talked about wanting to be a minister. He certainly sounds like a minister, would sound a guy who could command the podium. And I think this idea of of getting people to buy in, of getting people to believe when it doesn't look like there's any reason to have faith, of getting people to stay committed or stay diligent or stay connected, I think all of that is things that Matthew Slater is going to use in his future life. So is he happy the team's one and five? No. But I think ultimately he's going to be a guy who looks back at his career and says, you know what, I'm thankful for that tough year because it helped make me a better person and a better leader. And that's that's really all you can ask for from your team leaders, guys who are able to take any situation, turn it into a positive, able to rally their teammates, able to connect with their teammates, and able to uh, you know draw lessons from everything. We all want the team to win. The team's not winning. There's got to be some other things taken now from this season, and Matthew Slater, I think, is finding a way to do that. We had no guests today, which we haven't had no guests in a while, so – uh, it was good to just connect all of us together. Thanks to Danny for producing and engineering the program perfectly, as always. We're back on the guest train tomorrow with Tom Karen, our Red Sox insider at Nesson. TC going to stop by at uh, 545. We'll talk more about the playoffs. We'll talk about Kim Ng. We'll talk about the report that the Red Sox can't get anybody to take this job as a general manager and how desirable it actually is. And there was a pretty big mock trade that was put out about the Red Sox that I'm going to ask TC about as well. Playoff baseball comes up at 730. Game two between the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. We'll see you tomorrow.